disappointments and mistakes are requirements. Hmm. The only thing that will propel you to success for the next phase. You have to make mistakes. You have to learn from them. That's the only way it's going to keep you going up and to the right. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Lloyd Mensinger, a high-energy CEO with decades of international experience in medical device sales, marketing, and business development. He has a strong track record of delivering results in both blue-chip and early-stage companies, including Boston Scientific, Edwards Life Sciences, and Baxter Healthcare. Currently, Lloyd is the CEO of Aqua Medical, a company on the verge of developing groundbreaking technology for type 2 diabetes and other GI conditions. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, embrace capital efficiency and rapid iteration in your startup journey. Keep your organization lean and focus on quickly cycling through prototypes. This will help you reach proof of concept faster considering your resources are extremely limited in those early days. Number two, focus on driving value in your company rather than solely aiming for an acquisition or towards achieving milestones that increase the company's worth and provide a sustainable path forward. Third, persevere through the fundraising process. If you encounter low success rates for pitches, don't get discouraged right away, but keep reaching out to potential investors. Remember that the journey can be lonely, so lean on your support network, faith, or other sources of encouragement to help you navigate the challenges of raising capital. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we recently released the second volume of MedSider Mentors, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last six months or so. Look, it's tough to listen or read every single MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Erica Rogers, CEO of Silk Road Medical, Dr. David Albert, founder of AliveCore, and so many others. In addition, as a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medtech and health tech entrepreneurs. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, Lloyd, welcome to uh, MedSider Radio. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely looking forward to this conversation. It should be it should be a fun one, especially considering all of your uh, your startup experience. Um, with that said, uh, Lloyd, I I, I kind of touched on your 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 bio at the outset of this this uh, this interview, but let's start yeah. there. Um, give us a sense for your your kind of professional background. You know, without getting too far into the weeds, uh, right. leading up to uh, your current role as as CEO of Aqua. Sure, sure, and I mean. <laughs> For me, it's it's really been kind of this winding road. I kind of started with the uh, the big blue chip med device company, so Baxter, Edwards Life Sciences, Boston Scientific. Then went to the provider side, Tenet Healthcare, and then uh, really since then, it's been uh, you know four early stage startup companies. And a big part, I would say, a big chunk of that was international as an expat for twelve years. So much of that with Boston Scientific. So we lived in London and Paris and uh, Maastricht, Netherlands. And then, of course, we moved around a lot back and back to the U.S. And um, in terms of jobs, um, I ran, let's say Boston Scientific, I ran a third of the company uh, across Europe for, you know, 
eight years, and that was really the endosurgery group. So probably yeah, third of us scientific, um, and then you know number of staff roles. Back in the U.S., I went into strategy and business development, which was really the M&A side. So basically aligned running businesses and then to the M&A side. And that's where I really got interested in the startups. I said, look, it'd be nice to be on that side versus this side. You get no bonuses for doing a deal in uh, in Boston Scientific, right? So, uh, so the good side would be uh, on the M&A side. So um, uh, I'd say that the tenant healthcare experience, the provider side, was fascinating because now I got to see, I was in the top 20 of 40,000 people at 10, $10 billion, you know, 50 hospital system. It was very interesting to see because we were always pushing products to that side from the med device mm -hmm. side and to see what their reaction is. It's funny because in the hospital system, they would think, oh yeah, you guys, you just pay off the doctors. That's why they buy your, your expensive stuff. <laughs> so right. that was kind of their attitude, but Really, I learned that they want like good pricing and a basic device. Whereas let's say with Boston, we're pushing all the bells and whistles, whistles, the most expensive device. And uh, they're saying, look, if it if it's okay and it works in people, then uh, that's the one we want. So it was kind of a lesson on the side of the development side of, of uh, you know, for the med device piece. Yeah. So that's kind of a, that's really the my background. Yeah, no, no, that's helpful. It's interesting that you bring that up because, um, and I and I've I've shared this I think in a maybe a couple interviews ago that I that I did or um uh for, uh for Medsider, but um, a conversation I had with uh with um Nick Anderson who kind of specializes in um in healthcare economics. He made he made uh -huh. a really good point that still sticks with me today. He he said, you know, I of all the startups that I that I consult for, it's so rare that I actually see someone on the uh, payer or provider side actually on on the board. And he goes, it's it's oh, such right. a huge gap because to to your point, right. like it's so easy to to you know be knee deep in developing the next greatest you know device or system and to lose complete sight of like the economic side, right? And and how right. are you actually right. going to convince you know not only the 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 provider the the clinical provider but the actual the the payer as well the hospital system or the insurance right. payer to actually cover <laughs> cover and and pay for your yeah. your, your device so uh, it's a really really interesting point yeah. but just to circle back around to your, your career so your what what was your first startup then uh, kind of coming out of out of the, the um, land of the strategics oh yeah it was uptake medical it was okay. uptake yeah endostem define uh, was a spine company sold that for hundred million and then now I'm doing aqua okay okay got so, it got it okay that's super helpful and I I remember. Worked with a couple couple friends at at Define uh, back in the back in the day. So, okay, so let let's kind of transition to Aqua, like current current state, right? And then we'll kind of rewind okay. the clock and, and go back in time a bit. But again, kind of without providing too much detail, give us a sense for kind of what you're developing at Aqua, and and really uh, maybe frame that up around how how the idea even even came to be. Sure, sure. Well, I'm. This is the most exciting thing I've ever been involved in, we have a 30 minute outpatient procedure to treat type two diabetes. And it's a, it's, it's pretty simple. It's a catheter goes through an endoscope, goes through the mouth, 30 minute, you know, conscious sedation, patient can go home or back to work the same day. Um, and it's hot water vapor ablation into the, actually through the, uh, through the esophagus, the stomach into the duodenum, the blading of the duodenum can actually treat type two diabetes. That's kind of the, the very, the interesting finding. Got it. So, and the uh, the origin story, it's funny because one of my, the, the chief medical officer in 2008 thought he, he actually was a GI doc doing procedures every day. 
a key opinion leader in his own right, but he um, he ran a sort of an a ASC with 10 doctors and 60 employees. So he's every day kind of a practitioner as well as a KOL. And he was looking at different ablation, you know, methodologies, radiofrequency, et cetera, and kind of came upon this vapor ablation as a great approach. So developed it over the years, filed IP, which was very important, kind of like in 2008. And um, as, you know, kind of, Developed the developed the early technology, and it was going after Barrett's esophagus, which is a common. It's treated by ablation, and we had sort of better, faster, easier. And the interesting sort of the pivot story here is uh, we were going after Barrett's, and we talked to investors, we talked to doctors, we talked to folks, and they'd say, "Well, that's interesting." Um, and then docs would come to us and say, "By the way, you know, the, this is ablating the esophagus. The duodenum is underneath the stomach. It's also a tube. The GI tract is just a long tube of different diameters through the body. They said, if you, there's a technology they're proving that if you ablate the duodenum, you can actually treat type 2 diabetes. And their device is extremely cumbersome. You have a device that's ideal for this. Better, faster, easier. Switch from Barrett's to diabetes. The market's, you know, probably a hundred thousand fold bigger opportunity. So it was kind of like we we weren't smarter. We were just going by basically folks told us, go ahead and make this pivot because you have the perfect product for this. Yeah, so so, um, so, so interesting letting letting your it's a classic case of like letting your your uh, your your customers like drive your uh, drive the direction yeah. for the for the, the product and the company. Uh, but just a couple of quick follow up questions. So if I understand this right, and I, I don't expect you to like make bold claims about your product or your system currently, but in a in a future state, right? This this you know the 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 system, you have the claims that you need. Uh, it's in you're in market as a patient. I just I would go to like an outpatient GI ASC. And, mm -hmm. you know, go, go in, get this procedure done in 30 minutes. It's like a tube, you know, it's a, it's a uh, endoscope This you know, kind of yep. inserted down my, you know, through my, right. through my mouth, down my esophagus, right. bottoms ablated, and then I'm out. It's that easy, huh? It would be that easy. It is that oh. easy. Yes. Okay. It is that easy. Got it. Got it. So, okay. And then kind of uh, circling back around to like the concept of ablating the duodenum. I mean, is the is the mechanism of action un understood? And like, how long how long would it does it last? I mean, if you if I if I if I were to be treated, and again, I don't, I'm not expecting you to get yourself in trouble from a reg standpoint. But if I'm in a future state, if I'm treated with the aqua the aquascope, right. I, I, I right. you know, <laughs> um, how long would this how long would the the efficacy sort of last? Or what, is there kind of an ideal ideal target before I'd have to maybe you know get in another this intervention? Is, no, this, you're asking you're asking actually the two central questions that are the key to the entire the, the entire uh, approach and and uh it's it is it is fascinating first we are not in humans yet so we've got all this animal body of animal study we are on the cusp of getting into first in human for diabetes we've actually done first in human in, in the esophagus but the the real answer to mechanism of action is people don't know that's number that's number one if you have the honest answer however you know, gastric bypass and ruin Y, those all those procedures for obesity. So those procedures, they actually bypass the duodenum. That's what happens. So it's a, in various, you know, biliary pancreatic diversion, all these other obesity procedures. Obesity is resolved over weeks and months in those patients. Type 2 diabetes goes away within a couple of days. It's resolved. 
Wow. And so people were like, what the heck is it? And it's not food related. It's really because they found that the duodenum is really this epicenter. And there are all kinds of thesis for, you know, vagal efferent pathways and all kinds of metabolic, you know, theses. On, and you go to these DDW conferences, there's hours and hours of discussion on mechanism of action. But then another company came out with a sleeve, basically a tube covering the duodenum. The food passes it. Same result. Over weeks and months, obesity resolved, diabetes away almost immediately. However, the company failed because they couldn't keep it in place. So the company ahead of us has demonstrated in randomized control trial, and they're seeing durability. I thought it would be six months. They're seeing durability up to two years for a 30-minute ablation procedure. So that's why, I mean, this is really exciting. That company has raised $322 million. Their market value, their market, their post post-money value was $870 million. Wow. So we've only we've only spent 15 million so far. Okay. And we have we have three five ten Ks, by the way. Now we, we don't have an indication of diabetes. We have indication of uh, Barrett's esophagus, but we are able to ablate throughout the entire GI tract. That's where we have clearance. So we can back into uh, you know, expand the indications. Oh, okay. Okay, so, great. Um, yeah, that, that's super helpful because that was gonna be my next question is kind of where where's the company at? So you've got three five ten Ks in hand. And it sounds like you're preparing for inhuman work specific to type two diabetes treatment, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, okay yeah. got it, got it. And what, what, you know, out of curiosity, what is that to get those those sort of claims around, uh, yeah. around, you know, for type two diabetes? Is it is it a five ten k pathway then, or is it a, is it a PMA, or what does that look okay. like? Okay, well, that's that also is a very good question. The one of the companies is pursuing PMA. And we may, it may be a PMA, maybe a 510K de novo. So got it. It, it depends. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. That, that's, uh, that's super helpful. Yes. And again, for those listening that don't, if you don't get a chance to get to the, to the uh, interview summary uh, for this particular discussion with Lloyd uh, and you're interested in the technology, go to aquaendoscopy.com. That's A-Q-U-A endoscopy.com, aquaendoscopy.com. You can learn a little bit more about the company, the tech, you can see Lloyd and his, uh, in his, his background as well as his team's background, et cetera. So, Let's kind of use this as, as a bit of a uh, transition mm-hmm. to kind of go back in time, step inside the old MedSider uh, time machine. Um, okay. And I, I'd like to, and, and this maybe this first question I guess I have for you is not necessarily specific to Aqua, but feel free to kind of frame it up uh, yeah. with your, based on your experiences at Aqua. But I'm really kind of more interested in, you know, your other, you know, you, you kind of thinking about your other uh, early, you know, st- experience with early stage mm-hmm. startups as well. But the earliest kind of prototypes, right? You know, you're in your alpha and beta, you know, kind of, kind of builds, mm-hmm. When you think about that that point in in the in the in the life cycle of a of a of a, of a company or in in a, in a startup, where do you think most most you know med tech health tech entrepreneurs? What do you, where do you think they go wrong? You know, in the at that at that point in time. Yeah, that's you know actually I I was I was actually thinking about that, and I think that mistakes are kind of part of the process. I mean, there's almost no. I mean, it's really. How fast can you cycle the iterations? Because it will not be right quickly. How fast can you cycle it and how capital efficient you can be? You know, it's funny when when uh, we when we started and I've been very lucky to have a great board. I, you know, sort of Pete Nicholas, who, who passed, he was the founder of Boston Scientific. And I have a lot of these experienced board guys. They've done, you know, many more exits than I have. And uh, we sat around, we said, you know, together we've made every possible mistake you can make in a medical device company. We said, okay, so what would we do differently this time? And 
a couple things came up. One was capital efficiency. Do not build out a big organization. Do not, you know, kind of scale up and think you need all these things. I mean, keep it super, super lean because runway oxygen is your life, you know? And so rapid prototypes, to your point, try to do as many prototypes, try to do it as cheaply as you can to get to proof of concept. And uh, we do a lot of things before, I mean, animal studies even now are very expensive, right? I mean, you know, so uh, try to do bench top, any, if it's possible, lean beef, different types of, uh, you know, and just try to do the iterations as quickly and as inexpensively as you can. Uh, and um, I guess, yeah, capital efficiency is one. And the other was, I don't know if this is related necessarily to the, to the prototypes, but to, um, to not build only to be acquired, right? To, to try just to drive value in the company, take enough, our thesis is sort of take enough money to get to the milestone that will drive the value up in your company. And that also helps your early, your early investors, right? Because they want to see, they want to see a lift in their ownership before they get the cram down effect from some other VC coming in next. Yep. So um, that's one of the big, and um we talk about that. We have the, our models. We say it's like driving from Los Angeles to um, to New York. That let's say New York is an IPO, or you're building out the company. Uh, Los Angeles, where we're starting from, you know, the idea is build clinical value. You might get acquired in in uh, in Arizona. You might get acquired in Dallas, but just take enough and build enough value at each point. But don't count on it. If you're building for acquisition, you may miss the miss the window. Yeah, that's that's a great picture, right? That that story of kind of your your cross country trip, right? And the next the next yeah. sort of stop, right? You need to be at another milestone, right? A value inflection yeah. milestone for the company. It's a great, great kind of picture. And I and you know in in kind of the the uh, the conversation, kind of the, the pre interview conversation we had, um, you know, we talked a lot about sort of the similarities in in terms of structure between Aqua and Fastwave, right? Which is where I'm, oh, you yes. know, I'm I spend most of my time. Right. And it's it's super right. interesting that it's like. So many, to your point, so many startups, they get focused on building out like uh, a complex org, org, org structure and don't think about their burn, right? Um, right. And they may be cognizant of it, but they're not practically doing the right things to keep that burn as low as possible, yet still, to your point, rapidly iterating, right? right? In order to get to that next stop on the on the journey, right? right. On that cross-country trip. Um, right. So, right. yeah, totally totally right there with you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, um, I fundamentally think that and I'm not sure if you'd agree with this, but if you're doing a startup, you need to be cognizant of who are the natural acquirers here, right? right. Who would who would pick up this technology? But I remember I remember a discussion I had. It's probably been a couple of years ago now with uh with Robert Klein, uh, Bob Klein, who's done a number of startups, sold Boulder yeah. Sur- Surgical most recently. Um, and he right. he mentioned something similar to you. Like you can't solely rely on that, right? You've got to be building to get to the next, you know, the next major value inflection point. But you, you, there needs to be sort of a sustainable path here, you know, in the event that you're not, you're not acquired. Right. And, you know, that right. can't be a singular focus, right. which I, I think is a good point. Right. You know, if I, if I could mention something I think helpful to people listening to that would be, I was doing the job of business development at Boston Scientific and I had a, I had a company lined up. It was actually my, my chairman's company, Barrex. And we were, we wanted, I said, okay, this is ready to quit. We put the whole dossier together. And when you're in a company like that, Boston or Medtronic or, you know, JJ, it's like, one business review after another, an executive committee in the next level. And okay, we got approval. We got the green light. Okay, looks like it's good. Everything's right. And you have to redo it, you know, 
40 times, you know, and let, what are your assumptions and low case and high case. And, and, uh, and then we said, okay, ready to go. And then I, my boss comes in and he said, ready to pull the trigger. And he says, you know, sorry, Lloyd, cardiology just did a billion dollar deal. You don't have any money until next year. So that can happen, right? I mean, like you said, it's not until it's the wires in the bank, <laughs> you do not have it. So everything made sense. That company was probably counting on us, you know, acquiring them and, uh, it didn't happen. So that can happen. Yeah. So that's uh, a really, that's a really important story, right? It's like even all the, all the dots, you know, uh, could, could align. Right. But then you have some sort of adjacent event that happens that's completely outside of your control and unforeseen and it kills a deal, right? It kills a right. deal, prevents a deal from, right. from, from going down. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, super, super valid point. And I, I think just kind of hearing you describe, you know, some of those, some of those experiences and the stories, just reminds me of like, you know, always, you know, in the, in the world of startups, right. You kind of always need to be pushing forward with multiple plans, right. You know, if if you're stuck on plan a and not thinking about a potential plan B or plan C, that's kind of a dangerous, dangerous position to be in, you know? Um, And so, yeah. Yeah. You know, this, another, I mean, another uh, sort of corollary in that is sort of a picture inside some of the going, you know, sometimes the startup wonder what the heck's going on with the strategic. I mean, I'm, everything's here. They're asking me again, all of a sudden you get a question from this, like, where did this come from? You know? And so some of those meetings I would have, I would be the BD guy in the company trying to get a deal done. So all the people around the table, the legal, the IP folks, the marketing, whatever, I mean, everyone has their own agenda and nobody gets a bonus on this, right? (laughs) Nobody gets a bonus on having this deal happen. You know, in fact, some people, they see their job is to be, look smart and say, oh, did you think of this? And this could be a problem. Mm-hmm. Or the IP, maybe it's, IP is never black and white, right? I mean, it's sort of, there's gray zones. Mm-hmm. And so you have someone say, oh no, this is going to be a risk. We can't do it. And so a lot of times an acquisition would fall apart. I had one also fell apart because of an IP thing. I thought it was non-issue. Somehow they convinced the, you know, the mm-hmm. executive VP, executive committee that this was an issue and it didn't happen. So, you know, growth opportunity loss for the company but it's kind of hidden. So that happens. So it's just that from a startup side, you don't see any of this, mm-hmm. right? And so, but that could be happening behind the scenes. So I guess the thing is discouragement will, discouragement will find you. Like they say, you know, <laughs> you're not afraid until fear finds you. Touching, you know, so that happens. Just that's happens. a great, that's so, a great way to put yeah. it. I, I haven't heard that, that it described like that, but that's perfect. I mean, discouragement will find you uh, in, in, in a startup, yeah. right? I mean, you always being aware that you're pushing a boulder uphill, right? There's always right. friction along the way. And if you're expecting some sort of smooth, smooth ride, uh, you need to, you know, kind of op- open up, open up the eyes a little bit, uh, because that's not, that's not going to be the right. case. But you know what's interesting mm-hmm. about about that story, and and I and I think the fact that you've got such a broad base of experience, right? Commercial BD, running startups, spending a a bunch of time on the kind of the, the provider payer side, right? At tenant, that I think, I think sort of obviously you, that that that's helped you right in, in your scenario now be, being able to kind of see who's sitting on the other yeah. side of the table right mm-hmm. but if you're you know if you're listening to this conversation you know whether you're reading a startup or whether you're running a startup or inside a large organization i think just that that point right of being able to understand there's multiple stakeholders in the room some of most of them maybe not may, are likely not going to be incentivized to do your deal right so you need to be thinking about right. That the impact of that, you know what I mean, and it, right. it reminds me of a conversation I had with um with Bruce Shook, who sold um uh-huh. sold Ves, uh, Vesper Medical most recently. 
to Phillips and I think intact uh, prior to that, if I, if my memory serves me correct, but he mentioned, mm-hmm. he mentioned that he was like, you know, in one of these recent deals, it was super important for us to get really, really strong commercial buy-in, right? Cause the commercial mm-hmm. leaders right. were actually what was kind of, and I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember if he said this right. specifically, but sort of painted this picture that it was the commercial leaders that really kind of pushed the deal over the, you know, over the, over the fence because they understood by having this product in their bag, it was going right. to, I mean, it was going to be pretty, pretty impactful. Right. And they, yeah. you know, that, that commercial buy-in, um, right. you know, is maybe much more understood, right. Than someone sitting in IP or someone sitting in, you know, right. regulatory or whatever, you know, so. That's very, that is a really strong point. Very powerful. Yeah. Those guys could sway it in one direction because those other people sit, sit in, you know, and just talk to each other, legal and IP and those internet and everything is negative for them. You know, right. kind of yeah. the compliance, they have their own little circle, you know, circle of life that, you know, keeps going because everything that's wrong, you know, and has to be fixed. So. Yeah. Yeah. But you bring up such a good point though. I'm just understanding like those nuances that someone in IP they may be incentivized by by raising a lot of attention to a certain risk, not necessarily, right. you know, talked about how great the opportunity could be. I mean, they want to raise, you know, yeah. uh, awareness for, you know, certain risks that they see. And those kind of folks typically yeah. are a little bit more conservative than than others. So, again, right. your, your point about just no, understanding who you're dealing to- with, you know. We used to call IP and and uh, compliance the sales prevention department. <laughs> That's right. It's the acquisition prevention department. I mean, really, because they're yeah. like the they're like the cops, you know, kind of inside. So, oh yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, totally, but, yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a a a good point that um you know can't be underappreciated. Is just understanding those stakeholders, right? You know, you could, yeah. you could be getting such good vibes, right. From the, your BD contact. Right. But you know, right. Four or five people around him or her are like all saying, yeah. no, no, no. I see this problem. I see that problem, right. et cetera. So yeah, yeah. really, really but good your stuff. point of going around them to the commercial is very powerful because mm-hmm. those guys have sway. They say, look, this is a winner in the marketplace. They can kind of bypass and go above, yep. which is really what you want inside a strategic. Yep. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. Um, let, let's circle back around to kind of your regulatory pr- approach at, at Aqua. You mentioned that you've got three different clearances now and you're in the process of, you know, of, 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 of trying to um, expand upon those claims, right. For, for diabetes uh, purposes. But what, like when you think about regulatory in general and how to, yeah. how to, you know, um, set, you know s- sort of setting the roadmap and, using that as a as a as sort of a, a growth driver for a startup rather than just a, a hindrance or a roadblock. Like do you have any right. any you know pieces of advice that you kind of offer up to other other medtech entrepreneurs yes. or founders that are they're in kind of in the same boat? Right. Well actually mistakes that I mean I have made enough mistakes. So that's where it comes from. But <laughs> I we have found well maybe it was some some serendipity, but some of the large, the big consulting firms, they can uh, not all, but they can err on the side of of conservatism and safety. So they'll say, I, we, we went to one. They said, um, well, you're going to need, before you can even think about this, a 30-patient, not, not benchtop, not lean beef, not animal, but a 30-patient clinical study to be able to, to even think about this, you know? Then we went to another regulatory firm through connections, very smart people, very practical, small boutique shop, uh, had relationships in the FDA and uh, really kind of knew the space. And we did it with 
without even animal, we got in the 510K basically just a little bit of animal work, but mostly benchtop and lean beef. Hmm. So I would say find people that really can. I mean, it's worth looking diligently, trying to find connections to a good regulatory firm, because that would have been, I mean, the company wouldn't exist if we had to go the way that these, this large regulatory company kind of uh, guided us. So I think that's one, one thing. Uh, really and really pressure test because uh, yeah they they really explored you know how we can pull this package together and um, obviously spending enough time on the package and uh, and the dossier to to write it in a way and someone that has relationships in the FDA knows the domain is very very important yep so yep. That's probably the biggest takeaway I had from the regulatory. No, no doubt. Kind of, I mean, it sort of reminds me of just you know the 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 topic we just discussed, right? Which if if you're talking to a large regulatory, you know, RAQA organization, there's a high probably high likelihood that they're kind of they're kind of biased towards being pretty conservative, right? And trying to right trying right. trying to take the the safe yeah. the safe path, you know, not going to be overly exactly. creative or or aggressive with the approach. And I like right. I like that word you you used to describe kind of being able to pressure test different different opinions right and i think that's that's a really not not being afraid to kind of push push the limits you know and you you at the end mm-hmm. of the day you may get you know nine out of ten regulatory folks that all kind of say nah it's not mm-hmm. you can't do it that way but you may force them to kind of re- rethink kind of what how they normally would would approach something you know what i mean so just mm-hmm. being able to kind of you know push a little bit hard and and you know strive towards maybe more a little bit more of a creative uh, approach. There's no harm in that, you know. Typically, right? Right. Um, you know, and if you have to back into right. you know a, a safe zone or a comfortable approach, that's fine. But you know, why right. not? I'm kind of of the opinion that why not? Why not start out a little bit more aggressive uh, and think about it a little bit yes. more creatively, you know? Yes. And then yeah, yeah. So exactly, yeah. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CBRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.